0: Welcome to Southern Illinois Worship Center. Today, you'll be hearing a powerful message from our latest series. Let's listen in now.
1: Beginning this series called Lacking Nothing or Lacking No Thing in Your Life. And the premise of the whole series is really centered around one biblical character by the name of Moses. And then when you look at the example of Moses... Then you can begin to look at other biblical examples and see the same pattern that God used in many individuals throughout the Scripture. And then God also uses that same pattern in each of us. Do you realize that if time continues, you might just wind up a biblical character? You're just living your life, doing what God called you to do, and then somebody writes your story, and then your story inspires other people to live for God. That's what the life of Moses is all about and the life of Jael is all about and the life of Peter and Paul and Thomas and Bartholomew. They they were people just like us. Then they encountered the Lord and something amazing happened and they became living proof that God's still moving. And then we can go around this entire room and you become living proof that God is still moving. Now, we talked about this a little while ago, about Moses having an encounter with God at a burning bush. This is found in the book of Exodus, right at the beginning of the the book of Exodus. He's having an encounter with God at a burning bush. And there at the burning bush, God is ordaining him. Let's just use that word. God is commissioning him for a task. This is your life mission, Moses. It was not to be born and raised up in Pharaoh's house, your life's mission is to lead the greatest exodus that has ever happened. And so then Moses takes the opportunity as God is commissioning him because he's a human being just like us. He takes the opportunity then to argue with God about all of the the qualifications that he doesn't have, all of the the weaknesses that he has. I can't speak. I can't lead. I can't do this. I can't do that. And so then the Lord just says. To Moses, what I think he often says to all of us, after we have just completely just worn God out with all the reasons why we cannot do it, God just simply said, What's in your hand, Moses? A stick. And whenever I say that, I just think of a comedian who has some puppets on a stick. Just just a stick. I just have, all I have is a stick. And God said, you've given me all these reasons why you cannot do it. So I'm going to use the stick more than I'm going to use you. Just whatever is in your hand, what you already possess, I'm going to use and I'm going to use it for my glory and for my kingdom. And I'm going to allow what's in your hand. You, what you have already means you lack nothing, Moses. What you already have in your hand is more than enough. And so our reply is often like Moses' reply to God. I just have this. All I have is me. All I can do is I can maybe play a guitar or play the banjo or play the ukulele or play the spoons. And some of us, like me, we don't even play the spoons. We just play a fork. That's all I got. That's all I can do. And what we realize is that whatever God has embraced you with, then one day God's going to come to you and ask you to to use what He has graced you with. And God will never require something out of you that He has not already put in you. So you would lack nothing. And then once you realize that God can use what's within you and what He has graced you with, That every talent, every ability, and every anointing that you need, God has already given it to you. So we stand without excuse because we lack nothing. So God desires to use you. God has called you to do a work just like he called Moses to do a work. See, Moses was just like us. Moses was born in a time where every male child was born with the threat of death already on his head. The edict had already went out that every male child that was born was to be thrown into the river and to be drowned because Pharaoh was afraid of an overthrow by God's people. So he began to release this command that every male child should be destroyed. So he was born with the threat of death over his life. You and I were born with a threat of death over our lives because we were born in sin and we were shapen in iniquity and in sin did our mothers conceive us. The scripture then says that the wages of sin is death. So we were born with this this, uh, edict already over our heads that we were going to die. Why? Because the enemy realizes that if you and I ever come to life, then we, God's people, are going to overthrow his kingdom. So he's doing everything in his power to threaten you with death. But just like with Moses, God sends a way of escape. It's an ark of safety that has been created for you. And so his mother put him into the little ark that she had created, put him into the river. The very thing that was going to destroy him, he is now floating up on top of that. And the very thing that meant to destroy him is what ultimately saved him. Because he's floating down the river and there is Pharaoh's daughter bathing in the river. She sees this little baby. Her heart is inclined to it. She wants to adopt the baby. She brings the baby. And just like God, God arranges for Moses, his natural mother, to be his nursing mother. And so Jochebed, Moses' mother, is now in, instituted into his life. And instead of the early part of his years, Moses is now with Jochebed, his real mother. And she's planting seeds of truth. And seeds of word. And seeds of knowledge. And seeds of wisdom into his life. And then when he comes of age, she then takes him back to Pharaoh's daughter and releases him into Pharaoh's daughter's hands. But at, not after, she has trained up the child in the way that he should go. So that when he, he Old, he will not depart from it. And so, do you realize that just like Moses, who was born with the Edith to death over his head, you and I were born that way. But God created an ark of safety for you and I. It's called the Church of the Living God, and the Church is the Bride of Christ, and it is our mother. And the mother plants seeds of truth and wisdom and knowledge in your life, and training you up in the way that you should go. That when you are old and turn back over to the things of the world, that you will not depart. From the truth of the living God that has been imparted and implanted into your life. You lack nothing. Because listen, you can't stay in church all the time. You're going to have to go out there be trained and educated and live in the world. But though you live in the world, you are not of this world. And may you, like Moses, have a moment. Moses is there. He is a son of Pharaoh's house. But he's really a son of the living God. And Moses witnesses an event happen. He sees an Egyptian, and Egypt is the type of the world. He sees an Egyptian beating up on a Hebrew child. And something rose up in his heart. You know what that something was? It was that old training he'd received from his mother, Jochebed, when he was younger. That there's something that rose up in him that this moment, this moment of injustice, this moment where a child of God was being beaten down by the things of the world, something rose up in Moses. He's like, this is not right. And just like you and I in our day, we had to look to the left and to the right to see who was going to call him out on social media for standing up for truth and righteousness. So he's looking around to see who's going to call him out. Who's going to tattle on him? Who's going to snitch on him? Who's going to do this? And then he goes up and he strikes down the Egyptian who was beating up on the Hebrew child. He went down and struck down the worldly system that was beating up on God's child. Something rose up inside of Moses. He said, this is not right that the world is beating up on God's children. There has to be that same clarion call to God's people. today That we see the worldly system is beating up on God's children and they're in captivity and they're in bondage and the enemy's wearing them out. He's beating them up. He's destroying their marriages. He's destroying their children. He's destroying your children, your teenagers. And something needs to rise up in you and say, listen, that is not right. That's not the way it should be. Years ago, I heard the word of the Lord that if God be for me, who can be against me? And we go strike down the things of the world that are beating up our brethren that's what needs to happen inside of your heart and most of us say but I lack and I would tell you you lack nothing you lack nothing and what I love about Moses is that even though Moses was educated trained and raised up and reared up in Egypt he never succumbed to the Egyptian ways he was still a child of Jacobed, a child of his natural mother. Listen, the church is actually your natural mother if you have been born again. And so, though yo, you go out into the things of the world, and though they're trained up and educated there, and they're pouring all their ideas into your mind, and they're pouring all their thoughts of confusion into your mind, and the reason why you have confusion is because there's something else inside of you that tells you that what they're saying is not right. And so, they're trying to sow their little truth into you, but you know the truth and not their truth, and it's sowing confusion in your mind, and then one day, something's going to rise up in you, and you're going like, well, listen, what that professor said, when he said there is no God, I know that here O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And when the doctor says there's no hope for you, you can say I know that God is a healer. When the lawyer says there's no way out, you say my God shall provide a way where there seems to be no way. And so when everything, the system the world begins to beat you down, the truth of God begins to rise up in you because you lack nothing. You lack nothing. And so I would just ask us this for a moment today to take an inventory of our own lives that if we are like Moses are we still remaining like Moses or have we succumbed to the training the education and the thoughts and the music and the entertainment of our world are we in a spiritual collapse right now not in the world because they're not even spiritual but is the church in a spiritual collapse because we have succumbed to their training their education their thoughts instead of God's ways and there has to be a realization in all of us that God called us and that there is a task that lies before us it is not an easy task nope it is a war it is a fight it is a battle And many people have succumbed to spiritual collapse because they're tired of fighting. My friend, we're going to fight till Jesus comes. And the task that God has called you to do, it involves a battle. And the battle is always, it is always over freedom. It is always over freedom and deliverance. There is a church that needs to be delivered from the systems of the world. There is a church that needs to be delivered from the thought processes of the world. It is a shame that if a preacher preaches truth, that it offends more Christians than it does the world. The world is set free by truth, yet it offends the Christian. My friend, we are succumbing to the things of the world. And this ought to be the house of the liberated, of the delivered, and the free. This ought to be a place that is a refuge from despair, a refuge from the hypocrites, a refuge from all those people who are naysayers. This ought to be the house of the miraculous instead of the house of the apathetic. This is a battle over deliverance and freedom. First, the battle is for ourselves. To shake ourselves free. To get delivered for ourselves. Because you can't deliver somebody else if you are in bondage. So we have to get free. And then we go fight for others. So let's just take a little inventory of ourselves first. I would ask you, are you free? Even though, spiritually speaking, you lack nothing, I would ask, are you so bound up mentally that you are not free spiritually? Are you so bound up religiously that you are not free spiritually? Are you so bound up physically that you are not free spiritually? Are you so bound up? Or some of us are so wound up that we are not free. For the Scripture says, for the, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. In other words, you lack nothing. It's we who have returned to the systems the culture, the mindsets, and the rituals of the worldly system. Because he called you out of darkness and put you and placed you into his marvelous light. We have went back again and entangled ourselves in the yokes of bondage. So I would then ask you, are you so bound up that you cannot be free? Or are you collapsing under the loads that have been placed on you by the enemy of your soul and you don't feel like you can even go on? Spiritual collapse is happening. I watched it more in the pandemic than in any other season of my pastorship. I watched people collapse under the load that was being placed upon them. Spiritual collapse though in the life of a believer is rarely the result of a blowout. Almost almost Always, the spiritual collapse of a believer, it results because of a slow leak in their spiritual life. If the enemy just walked up to you right after a hot powerful Holy Spirit filled service and tempted you with the things that you are now succumbing to you would have never done it but take church out of the way for about a year take preaching out of the way for about a year take live worship out of your life for about a year take all the community out of your life for about a year and all of a sudden you got a slow leak that's happening and now all the enemy has to do is march a little temptation in front of you and because you've not recharged every week re-energized every week been in devotions every week been in a room every week now the slow leak has caused you to collapse in your life the slow leak happens because we make compromises our devotional life is ignored then slowly but surely spiritual strength we once enjoyed just dissipates out of our life until we find ourselves unable to go on so to determine where we are on a spiritual collapse let's just take a look at judges chapter 3 And in the book of Judges, you can read through it, and you'll watch, in the book of Judges, you'll watch spiritual heights, spiritual collapse. Spiritual height, spiritual collapse. Spiritual height, spiritual collapse. Sometimes it would last 18 years, sometimes it would last 8 years, sometimes it would last 40 years, sometimes it would last 80 years. And then in this nation, we had a move of God for over 200 years. And then over the last few years, we have suddenly begun to make compromises with the systems of the world. That's why I said to you last week, yes, this nation was born some 200 years ago, but this nation needs to be born again. Spiritual collapse is not happening because the enemy's blowing you away. No, it's because we begin to compromise with our enemy. So my first question on the spiritual EKG would be, are you in a slow fade? According to Judges chapter 2, the people of God were commanded to destroy their enemies, annihilate them, completely stomp their enemies out. So the people of God show up. They begin to war with them. And they don't destroy them though. They war with them. They attain partial victory but not complete victory. So they celebrate in their partial victory. And then they leave their enemy there. And so they begin to no longer destroy them. But now they begin to compromise with them. In Judges chapter 3 and verse 5, the scripture says there they dwelled with their enemy. They begin to cohabitate with their enemy. This happens in churches all over the place. We come in with our Bible under our arm, but a demon on our shoulder. We come in with a heart determined to worship, but a mind that is so confused by the thoughts of the world. We are allowing the enemy to dwell in our homes, dwell in our marriages, dwell in our finances, dwell in our kids' hands, dwell in our hands, dwell in our chat rooms, dwell in our social media feeds. We're allowing the enemy to cohabitate right with us, and we just go on like it's normal business to have the enemy war with our soul while we're in the house of refuge. We're on a slow fade. This is the house of the free. Our worship ought to be free. Our praise ought to be free. There ought to be people being set free every day that the church exists. And now we just say, well, it's normal. We begin to dwell with our, we just want to coexist. If we can just, you know, I read that bumper sticker all the time just coexist. That is impossible. It is impossible. Jesus said the truth will divide. If you're in this thing for everybody to like you, I got news for you. They're not going to like you. Why? Because you're never going to satisfy the devil. I don't care how much sin you commit, how much sin you approve of. he It's never enough. He desires all worship. He desires all glory. He doesn't want partial going to God. He wants it all. Why? Because he's an imitator of God. And God desires all worship and desires all praise. And he doesn't want you to have a relationship with sin. He wants you to come out from among them and be separate. Be holy for God is holy. He wants all of you and not part of you. And if the devil is an imitator, then he wants all of you too. I'll just play, kid. I'll just stand with this foot over here and this foot over here. And I'll just, I'll just enjoy it. Yep, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get split in two. Coexisting with the enemy. Then in Judges chapter 3 verse 6, they had relationships with their enemies. They took their daughters and gave their daughters to be their sons' wives. And then took their daughters and gave their daughters to their sons. Now we're, now we're not even just coexisting. Now we're completely existing with them. We're now going we're we're to reproduce confusion, chaos. So they have relationships. So they begin to reproduce. They dwell with them. Then they have relationships with them. Here, you take my son. Here, you take my daughter. We become like Hezekiah just as long as there's peace in my day. You can have my son. You can have my daughter. No, pastor, we don't do that. Really? For every dead, dry, boring church service, we're offering our sons and daughters more excitement in the world. I don't want the power of God. I don't want the power of God. As we decrease the power of God, we're making what the power of the enemy has to be more enlightening. And so what we need to match their fire with is their strange fire with is the fire of Almighty God in our lives. Oh, pastor, no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. Well, then why is every church in America declining? Why is there so many young people leaving the church? Because they get a better high on marijuana and the opioids than they do on Jesus Christ. And so, when they come to church, we mock them and make fun of them. We rip them up one side and down the other, and then wonder why they don't want to be in the church. What we're doing is saying, here, here's my son, and here's my daughter. I want the church to be all about me. Do you realize that once you reach the age of 40, the church is no longer about you? It has to be about the next generation, because we have to raise up and train up a generation that when they get older they will not depart from it. But no pastor we don't want all that stuff. We don't want vacation Bible school. We don't want a kids ministry. We don't want a worship youth ministry. We don't want all them lights and them music. But that's what they get in the world and the world has taken everything that belonged to the church and turned it around and imitated what was meant for God. That's right. I don't like all that loud stuff. Well we're going to reach a generation one way or the other. You know how I got reached? I got reached in 1985. I was eight years old. In 1985, I was eight years old. It was a Sunday night church service. It was the first night of revival. The evangelist couldn't show up. So my pastor said, revival goes on. Just like the pastor of this church just said to you a moment ago, certain things didn't happen the way that they were going to plan, but we're still going to have revival. And my pastor got up and preached a message. I was stealing candy out of my grandfather's pocket. And all of a sudden, the Lord began to move on my life, and he baptized me in water and in the Holy Spirit on the same night. This is what this This generation needs while they got the hand in the pocket of an older generation trying to live off the benefits of an older generation. The Lord is going to begin to move on their lives and baptize them in water and the fire of the Holy Spirit in their life. But we got to build a fire big enough to burn out sin in their life. So after they dwell with them, after they have relationship with their enemies, Judges chapter 3 and verse 6, the last line of that verse. And they worshiped and served their gods. Ah, no, 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 one day, no. Once you begin to coexist, once you begin to hand your children over to them, and they served their gods. We're serving the God of self more than any other generation that has ever lived. This is my truth. This is how I view the truth. Well, I got a better idea about the truth. And we're serving that God of self. Be careful. Notice that's a small g. And how you overcome their gods is with God Almighty. Are you worshiping their gods? Are you worshiping with their enemies? And I know it's cliche. But there's nothing more frustrating than for me to watch somebody sit in a church service deader than a doornail. But a country guy shows up at Heron Fest, and they'll lose their ever-living minds just to buy a ticket, let alone when they get to the concert. And they say, oh, well, you know what, pastor? It takes alcohol to get me loose. Well, how about you drink some new wine, and it'll get you loose too. But what you're trying to do is put that new wine in an old skin. Or do I have men tell me, oh, you're, Pastor, your church is too loud. Yeah. <laughs> but when the Cardinals, yeah. Come on. Come on. right, yeah. Come on. or the Bears or the Packers or whatever, We go crazy over a little piece of leather going over a chalk line. But we'll not celebrate when somebody goes down in the waters of baptism and comes up a new creature in Christ Jesus. We now worship their gods. God baseball, God football, God soccer, God dimple ball, which is a golf ball for those of you that don't know. You know, to this day, I was raised, I do not play golf on Sundays. I don't do it. This is the Lord's day. And I'm going to be in God's house. Why? Because I'm not going to allow something that God gave me as leisure to take over my purpose in life. And this, this pattern of coexisting, giving relationship, and then serving their gods is a pattern that is repeated in lives of people every day. And it will happen in your life if you're not careful. We dwell with the world, then we start relating to the world, and then we end up worshiping with the world. So let me remind you again that none of us just falls into sin. We walk into sin one step at a time. It's a slow fade. It's just a text message that turns into a phone call, that turns into I'll meet you, and then it's I'll greet you. It's a slow fade. You still show up to church, but you're not what you used to be. You're one of those people that talks about what happened 55 years ago. But nothing has happened five minutes ago. Give me all the books you want. I offended a wonderful man by this very statement, but it's true nonetheless. Give me all the books you want about the moves of God that used to happen. And I will still tell you that does nothing for a generation that needs a move of God now. I don't care about fire falling. Even my kids could care less about what happened in 1985 to me. They need a firefall to happen to them in 2021. And when we don't destroy our enemies, our enemy is then used to expose our own hearts. And once our hearts are exposed, then God has to perform a work so that we will return to Him. And this is exactly what God did. They. Coexisted, they begin to have a relationship with them, then they begin to serve their gods, dwell with their gods. And then in Judges chapter 3 and verse 8 therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the land of Kushan Rashatham, the king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served that king eight years. They went on a slow fade, and then God sells them to a king who was an evil king. They were on a slow fade. And God says, you're on a slow fade. I'm going to do something to shake your world. He sells them to a king. And that king, they would serve for eight years. And his name, Kushan Rishathim, means double darkness. God said, you're on a slow fade. You want to keep this slow leak up? I'm going to allow you for the next eight years I'm going to allow you to move off this slow fade. And I'm going to allow you for eight years to be in double darkness. You think it was bad then? Just wait. For eight years they served him. And God used this king as an instrument of chastening. That through him, through that double darkness, that his children might come to their senses And realized that they couldn't no longer give their sons and daughters to the things of the world. They can no longer give their sons and daughters into relationships with the things of the world. He said, I'm going to give you over to double darkness. So that you realize that when you don't destroy the things I told you to destroy. That those things will ultimately set in and destroy you. And so when you don't destroy your enemies and you get into darkness. Depression begins to set in. Look at this nation right now. now. People are on depression medicines like crazy. This nation has walked off the slow fade, and we are in darkness, my friend. We are in double darkness. But beyond them, what about us in the church who have decided that we're not going to destroy the things of the world. We're just going to kind of coexist. We're going to show up on Sunday, but live like them the rest of the week, and then show back up on Sunday, and God said, I've had enough of that. I don't want you being in a slow Faith, I want you to be on fire. You remember what he said in Revelation chapter 3? I would rather that you would be hot or you would be cold. But because you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. God needs a church that is hot. It is on fire. And I do recognize that some people will touch it and go, "Whoa!" I don't know if I like that. But after a while of eating cold food, you want some warm food. And when we're in darkness, depression's all over the place. Not only is depression setting in, but confusion fills our thinking. Are we not the most confused society you have ever seen in your life? Mark chapter 10, he created male and female. Trust me, as soon as I say this, my email is going to light up and Instagram is going to light up and they're going to threaten to kill me and destroy me and I'm going to call you out. But he created them male and female and yet we now have how many different, are we not the most confused generation you have ever met in your life? We are in double darkness. I'm confused, Pastor. God is not the author of confusion. So if you are confused, I would automatically know who's speaking to you and who you're listening to. And you're going to God is going to do something to shake you up. going to put you in double darkness. And we're in the dark, confused, depression. What should we do? Where are we supposed to go? Who we are? What am I? We have no purpose. We've sat in the church for so long without purpose, we don't even know who we are. People want Pastor Jason to start more ministries. I have mine. Start yours. (laughs) Pastor, preach every night. No, you rise up. You get the Word of God. You begin to share the Word of God. You come and do it on a Monday night or a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night. Pastor, I want you to be here every night. No, God wants you to rise up. And you are not lacking anything either. He gives us over to darkness, double darkness, because it's in the darkness that we start looking for and then seeing and searching for the light. Forty years after God delivers them from this double darkness, the people of God would again slide back into their old ways. Had a revival. Just look at our nation. We'll have a revival. We have the Jesus movement. And then we slide back. Have another movement. We slide back. And God just beginning to shake us again. It gives me great courage today to tell you that there's a revival breaking out right now. 40 years later, Judges chapter 3 verse 12, and the children of Israel did, again, did evil on the side of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened the king by the name of Eglon of Moab against Israel. Because they had done evil on the side of the Lord, then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek went and they went and defeated Israel. And he took possession of the city of Palms. The city of Jerusalem, or can you say like on Palm Sunday where they had the palms and they waving, he took possession, their praise. Uh-huh. And so the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab eighteen years. So are you on a slow fade? Are you in darkness? Are you under a heavy load? Eglon was strengthened by God. He gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek. And they went and defeated Israel. Ammon and Amalek. After leaving Sodom, Lot's daughters were worried that they would never have children. So they seduced their father. They gave birth to two sons, one by the name of Moab and the other one by the name of Ammon. Eglon was a Moabite. He went and joined forces with the Ammonites. And then not only that, he joined with a third group, the Amalekites. The Amalekites were the descendants of a man who did not cherish his birthright, Esau. So Eglon is birthed out of a mistake of one of God's people. He goes and joins forces with the mistake of another of God's people. Then joins forces with a man who was the chosen, the firstborn, who was supposed to cherish his birthright. And so the enemy is strengthened by gathering all the past mistakes of God's peoples, And uses their past to bring a heavy load on their life. All the things that we messed up years ago, he brings all that back around and just places that heavy burden on you. You can't forgive yourself and you can't forget because the enemy has strengthened himself by gathering not just one of your mistakes, but a couple other ones. And places you on such a heavy load. Why do I call it a heavy load? Judges chapter 3 and verse 17 is the only man in the entire Bible that God calls a fat man. Eglon. He was aptly shaped and named. He looked like an egg. Eglon. He was a very fat man. Heavy, heavy load. Here was this great big tubby overweight oppressor. And his story provides this perfect illustration of how you and I must deal with a heavy weight. The heavy duty oppressors that threaten us. And there is no heavier weight than a past mistake that you cannot forgive yourself of. So Eglon, in order to strengthen himself, he goes and he gets the mistakes of Lot and Lot's daughters, the mistake of Esau and the bitterness of Esau, and he puts all that carnality, all that sin, all that iniquity together, and he just lays that heavy load on God's people. And if you're under a heavy load or if you're in a slow fade or you find yourself in darkness, the question is, what shall we do? What do we do when we find ourselves in a slow fade? What do we do when we find ourselves in darkness and confusion? Or what do we do when the load becomes so heavy we are about to collapse? What do you do in darkness and despair? Judges chapter 3 and verses 9 and 11. Just after the first oppression, the people, the Bible says, the people cried out to God. There is no doubt that in the eight years that they were under the bondage of double darkness that the people prayed. There is no doubt that they prayed over their food. There's no doubt that they realized that here is where the Lord our God is one Lord. There is no doubt that they kept all those things in mind. But there is a difference between going through the, me- the method of prayer and actually getting down on your knees and crying out to God. There's something that has to happen. Listen, this nation still confesses that God blesses America, but yet we've never turned it around, and America began to bless God. And so we can go through the ho-hum prayers, and we can go through all that, or we can get down to business and say, God, we've been in darkness for eight years. We've been under this heavy load for 18 years, and God, we're going to cry out to you. And when we cry out to you, every time they cried out, as they cried out, God raised up a deliverer. They cried out, God raised up. And as we're going down, we have to cry out and God will raise up. When they cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them. His name was Othniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother. If you don't know who Caleb is, you're going to have to go back and read all of that. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he judged Israel. He went out to war. When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, my friend, you're going to war. I don't believe in all that spiritual warfare stuff. When the Spirit of the Lord comes on you, you're going to go to war. And the Lord delivered them out of it, uh, delivered that king into his hand. And his hand prevailed over that king. And so the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Canaz, died. When God people cried out, God raised up. We must begin to cry out. We are in the driest spiritual season we've ever seen on one hand. And I can't speak for every other church. I can only speak for this one or speak to this one. Elijah went in to the king's house and he said, it is not going to rain. What was he doing? He was setting a condition that would cause Ahab and Jezebel and all of the people in that kingdom to return to God. He said, it is not going to rain. It's going to get so dry that you're going to have to turn to God. It's going to have to get so dry you're going to have to. turn." How many of y'all been praying for Revival. What you're asking for is for God to set a condition that it gets so bad that people have no choice but to cry out to Him. You're asking God, do we say it about our church? Do whatever you got to do. Then when God starts to do it, we want to bail them out. And God's trying to set a condition for them to return to Him. So He set the condition it's not going to rain. Then after the call of fire to Mount Carmel, he's like, it needs to rain. And that's where we are right now. We need it to rain. We need the Holy Spirit to rain down. First in this place and then over this region. And Ed, if you'll get ready. So when Elijah began to pray for rain... The scripture says in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verses 42 through 43 that he put his head between his knees. Like that's not even normal. I, I don't even know if I can. He put his head down between his knees and knees and he began to cry out to God seven times. He didn't stop at once. He did it seven times. In other words, he got into the birth position. He got into the position where a woman who is in pain and trying to deliver a baby, he gets down in that position, puts his head down between his knees, and he begins to cry out to God, saying, I set the condition over here that it's not going to rain. But now, God, I need you to remove that condition and pour the rain down on them so that they know that you're the God. And a lot of us just want to stand and go, Lord. And we need to get our head between our knees and get into the position to get ready to birth what God has impregnated the church with which is revival it is a dry and thirsty land and we need the rain for the second half of this sermon you're going to have to tune in at the 11 o'clock because Ed's going to finish my sermon today and I need you to respond to the word of the Lord right now
0: lately the Lord has been dealing with me about hunger and thirst and praying this week the Lord showed me well right now up until the rain the last couple of days we have been in need of rain the Lord has showed me a picture of a parched ground parched earth that had not received rain in a long time and I don't know if you've ever experienced this but we lived in Louisiana uh, a few years ago We, we bought our first house there in Louisiana and we went for a period of about three weeks to a month without any rain and the lack of rain caused all of the vegetation to die all of the grass to die then after the grass died cracks began to happen to appear in the ground the longer we went without rain guess what the drier the earth became and the bigger the cracks got okay and, and what the lord showed me is this the lord brought back to my mind an old song and the song simply says it's beginning to rain Hear the voice of the Father saying, Who soever will come drink of this fountain. So if you're thirsty and dry, lift your hands to the sky. It's beginning to rain. But now let's deal with where we're at. How many of us, we know that we're dry, but yet we're still not lifting our hands? The invitation is there, but we still won't lift our hands. This is something that no one else can do for you but you. Pastor can preach his heart out. Praise team can sing their heart out. The presence of the Lord can be here so thick that you can cut it with a knife. But if you do not respond, get, guess what's going to happen? You're going to remain in your same condition. You're going to remain dry. Well, maybe there's some here today that's saying, hey, well, well, I'm not dry. I don't know what you're talking about. I can't relate. You're not talking to me. Let me give you some symptoms of what it means to be dry spiritually. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you read your Bible? When was the last time you had a devotion? When was the last time you had a a family devotion? When was the last time you prioritized God, number one on your list, out of all the things that you have going on? When was the last time you gave God priority in your life? Lord, that I'm going to push everything else aside. You're number one. And this is what I would propose to you. If you have a hard time answering that question, you're dry. You are dry. When was the last time you read your Bible? When was the last time you fasted? If you can't answer those questions right off the top of your head, that's a good indication that you're dry. But my brothers and my sisters, I just want to propose to you this morning. God wants to rain on each and every one of us. That is not God's will for us to be dry, to be spiritually dry. God wants all of us to be filled. I was telling the men a couple of weeks ago, pastor has been preaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know what life is pre-baptism of the Holy Spirit saved, and I know what life is post-baptism of the Holy Spirit i was raised in another reformation where when we heard about we called them sanctified folk we called them the holy rollers the people who spoke in tongues that's for them i had gotten saved and i had made up in my mind i heard this this guy preach a sermon says that you can go to heaven without the baptism of the holy spirit and i had made up in my mind you know what i'm good I'm going to make it to heaven, but I wanted the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you need rain, if you need an abundance of rain, if you need an outpouring of rain in your spirit, and you have yet not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're missing out on something. And I remember saying that I did not need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but inwardly, I knew that I wanted it. I knew that I needed it. I grew up in an era where, uh, in a church where tarrying for the Holy Spirit, coming down to the altar, and I didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit that way, but yet I wanted the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I remember I was deployed to Al Sheikah Air Base Bahrain doing Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm. That was probably some of the best church I've experienced in my entire life having church in a tent, there were no suits, there were no ties, there was no khakis, there were no polo button-up shirts. People came to to church in ABUs, BDUs, flip-flops, and shorts. And that was some of the best church I've experienced in my entire life. But I remember laying on my bunk one night, believing God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then all of a sudden the Lord filled me instantly. My life went from being dry to being filled. But that wasn't it. There's still more for you. Now, some of you might be saying this morning, well, that doesn't apply to me. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care what God has called you to do. You can be a preacher, you can be a minister, you can be an evangelist, you can be a prophet, a prophetess, or you can just got saved just on yesterday. We all stand in need of being filled. Being filled, receiving God's reign, receiving God's refreshing is not just a one-time deal. It's not a one-time experience but this is a continual flow that God wants us to deal and walk in each and every day. Hmm. Hmm. Some of the things that you are believing God for in your life You want God to, you believe in God to do things in your life. Some of you guys are operating in ministries here and your ministry, you feel that your ministry is stuck. You feel that your ministry has dried up. Hmm. But I hear the Lord saying, there's fresh rain for you. What you are believing God for in your ministry God has called some of you guys to ministry, and you know that. But where do you go from here? What do I do next? You need the rain. You need the rain. God wants to rain on you. God wants to rain on your ministry. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. morning. Come on, let us please stand, if you will, let's stand. Listen, nobody's looking at you, and hopefully you're not looking at anybody, okay? As the praise team goes into a song here in a few minutes, this is what I want you guys to do. All of our attitudes should be pointed in this direction. I love you. I want the best for you. But right now, I need God to reign in my life. I need God to do something for me. I can't do anything for you until God does something for me. Because I I can't give you anything I don't have. But I need God to touch me. Because I need something. Uh, Parents. Grandparents. You've been praying for your children. You've been praying for your grandchildren. Some of you are praying uh, for um, your brothers and, and, and your sisters, and you're praying for your grandparents. So you have seed in the ground. Once you have planted seed, in order for that seed to grow and to sprout and to thrive, you need rain. So if you don't have any seed in the ground, rain doesn't matter. But if you have seed in the ground, you need rain. So as the praise team goes into this song, I want you to take however long it takes. We're not concerned about being the first out of the parking lot. We're not not concerned about being the first in line to the restaurant. Rain is more important than anything else that you have to do today. The altar is open. If you need rain, now is the time for you to come and to receive the rain that God has for you this morning. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to check out our podcast weekly, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also visit siwcenter.org to find out more information about Southern Eleanor Worship Center. Be sure to join us right here next week.